Hi, I'm Peter Capaldi. When I'm not thinking about things, I enjoy listening to the Earth 2 podcast. Transmitter device activated. Coordinate set for Earth 2. Hey everyone, welcome to the Earth 2 podcast, the podcast where we explore the origins and the development of the DC multiverse and the legacy of their Golden Age characters throughout the Silver and Bronze Ages of comics. I'm Peter Watson. And I'm David Steele. Welcome back. Thank you for joining us. It's an exciting one today. It's a special one today. We're looking at issue 29 of The Atom, which was published on the 1st of December 1966, cover dated March 1967. And the reason this is a special one is because it's the first solo team-up of the Golden Age Atom and the Silver Age Atom. Isn't that exciting? Yay! Very exciting, yes. I have it in my head for some reason that you're a big fan of Ray Palmer. Is that right? <laughs> I do like Ray Palmer, yeah. I'm a big fan of Ray Palmer. What's your earliest memory of reading a story with the Atom? Probably a Justice League one, to be honest. Mm. First one I remember reading with him as a main character was probably one of the action comics backups. Okay. About 515, around about that time. But yeah, that's, uh, I didn't actually get any of his solo issues until much later on. Right. What about yourself? Well, the first one... I mean, this is one of these things, I remember having the comic, but not really registering the detail, but buying a copy of the comic many years later and going, oh, I had this one as a kid because I remember this drawing. The first one I had with the Atom in it was the, the issue of Justice League where he gets married. Oh, there you go. Do you remember that big two-page spread at the end where all the, the heroes are all in their civvies at the wedding, but the costumed versions sort of loom over them so you know who's who? <laughs> There's a, a very early issue of DC Comics Presents that he's in that I remember having. Is that the one with the big green alien in the front? Yeah. The yellow was, background, yeah. So. That was that was the one that kind of imprinted on me, as as far as going, yeah, I like this guy, he's pretty cool. Yeah, I had that as a boy as well. That's yeah. cool, magic. Still got it. Yeah, is it the same? Is it the same copy? Same copy, yeah. Wow, that's tremendous. I'm sure I got my copy from City Center Comics at some point in the early nineties. So yeah, the Atom is obviously he's a DC Comics legacy hero. The Golden Age Atom was Al Pratt, who was basically he was a small diminutive man who was very strong and. He made his first appearance in All-American Comics, issue 19, published in August 1940. He was also a founder member of the Justice Society of America, appearing in every issue between 3 and 57, with the exception of 27 and 36, which is probably around about the time that All-American and DC or National were all falling out with each other. When do you first remember encountering the Golden Age Atom? I think in the Whatever Happened to the Golden Age Atom, back up in DC Comics Presents. I see. What about yourself? It was probably when I got a copy of All-Star Squadron issue 1, a little while after the event. And the Alprat Atom is quite significant in a way because he got a bit of a reboot along the way during the, the Golden Age. He kept the basic colour scheme of his original costume, the yellow and blue, but um, got a new costume with a new emblem on the chest and a nice little mask with a fin which removed the full face mask that he had. Um, that debuted in 1948, the new costume first appearing in issue 98 of Flash Comics and issue 42 of All-Star Comics when he was he was first seen respectively solo and with the team and it's this new costume that he's worn ever since he was revived with the rest of the Just Society in the pages of The Flash and so it's this costume that he wears in this one. Ray Palmer, the Silver Age Atom, made his first appearance in issue 34 of Showcase which was published in July 1961. He was also in issues 35 and 36 and then his own book debuted in April 1962. And here we are with issue 29. Yay. Pete, would you like to tell us about the cover? Yes, it's a very striking image on the cover. Very much. Literally. First of all, it's 1966, so we've got the amazing Google checks up the top. Mm -hmm. 
we have the Atom logo underneath and a small, a small, and a small uh, Ray Palmer <laughs> Atom underneath the DC logo, which is quite, quite worrying if it was a very large Ray Palmer. <laughs> You'd be like, that'd be a giveaway. And in this amazing Gil Kane cover, we have the villain of the piece, the thinker, right front and centre. And he's mm-hmm. using Ray Palmer Atom to strike Al Pratt Atom. Yes. It really looks like a Saurian, doesn't it? Yeah, very much so. And the thinker is wearing a new costume we haven't seen before. Mm. I have to say, I quite like it. It's very smart. Yeah, it's very cool. It's quite an image of Ray Palmer just being grasped in, his, in, the, in the thinker's hand. It's What's the best way of putting it? It's just really cool. It's one thing I've always liked about the Atom, <laughs> especially the covers of his mm-hmm. Silver Age book. We touched on this slightly when we did the issue of the Atom that featured Zatanna, which had the fight scene when he used the toaster. It's just the idea of what you can do with this really small guy. So he's either yeah. tied to a hand grenade or stuck to a car tyre, you know, that sort of stuff. <laughs> Trapped inside a light bulb. Yeah, it's always intrigued me. I have to say, my copy of 29 is not in the best of Nick. Quite a bit of spine damage, and I only noticed <laughs> the other day the cover logo, which is a lovely bright yellow and red, I'll hold it up to the zoom screen so Peter can see. It's been scribbled on a bit, look. So it has. Just someone's gone over it, just with a biro. You didn't really, if you looked at it at a distance without your glasses on, you wouldn't be able to tell, but there it is. So that's a bit disappointing. I might have to try and upgrade. Oh well. Not to worry. At the bottom of this amazing Gil Kane cover, there is a caption that says, Not even two atoms could outfight or outthink the thinker. And this cover is rendered by Gil Kane. It's over the little signature box. Very dynamic, very concussive. Gil Kane drew the story as well, and it's inked by Sid Green, who's Flavour of the Week. Lots of Sid Green action going on just now. He inked the, the JLA-JSA crossover this year, and he's involved in the issue of Flash that we'll be doing quite soon. And a story is written by Gardner Fox. So, shall we dive in? Let's do so. Opening splash panel, we have an Atom logo at the top, and a little headshot of Al Pratt, which tells us guest starring the original Atom, original inverted commas, and a rather dynamic image shows the thinker lunging forward and Ray Palmer's atom has shrunk down and he's floating above the Golden Age atom. And the Golden Age atom is punching back at they look like eight balls the thinker is flinging towards them. And Al Pratt is saying, I'll fight off this cannonball attack, Adam. And Ray Palmer says, Well, I figure out a way to outthink the thinker. And we have a nice big caption box which tells us, When brain comes to battle grips with brawn, which will win? The brain belongs to the thinker, genius criminal of Earth 2. And the brawn is supplied not by just one atom, but by two tiny titans. Yes, for the first time in comicdom, the atom of Earth 1 links fistic fireworks with his counterpart of Earth 2 when they are called upon to stop the The thinker's earth-shaking robberies. Terrific. Excellent. So, we start off, top of page one. Our first caption says, As television actress Cheryl Drake emotes before the cameras for As the World Revolves, soap opera, tears fill her eyes. Yes, and this panel shows a young blonde lady with the fringe bangs and all that. She's obviously having a confrontation with an older man. You can see the microphone in the background, there's a couple of TV cameras, some of the details of the soap set. And she's in the process of Tearfully saying, I'll never see my baby again unless you help me, Dr. Edwards. We have a slow dissolve to panel two and a caption that says, Hours later in the law offices of Jean Loring, real tears flow from those same eyes as... And we see Cheryl again 
And she's crying. She has a handkerchief up to her eyes this time, but it seems that the tears are for real. And she's saying, They're going to take my baby away from me, unless you can prevent them. Randolph Drake and I were married a year ago. Last month, just after our son was born, my husband was killed in an auto accident. Now his well-to-do parents want Ronnie for themselves. It's my child. I can support him very nicely. It's true. I, I have a governess while I'm at work. <laughs> and Jean Loring says, But your in-laws claim your child needs personal attention. You rehearse all mornings and tape your show in the afternoon, and at night they claim you're too tired to give Ronnie the love and affection he needs. They say that, but it isn't true. Grandmother Drake wants my child, but I won't let her have him. I won't. I won't. The caption for the next panel then says, Thus, in real life, the heartaches of Cheryl Drake echo those of her television other self. And this final panel on page two shows a tearful Cheryl, and Jean is saying, There, there, Cheryl. We'll fight this. You and I. We won't let anybody take Ronnie from you. Just leave everything to me. Top of page three now. Change of scenery. The caption says, That evening, as Jean Loring visits a rare bookend exhibit <laughs> with her fiancé, Ray Atom Palmer. Before we go any further, a rare bookend exhibit. Amazing. How great were the 60s? They're not married yet, obviously. So this is quite a courtship they're having here. It's like, <laughs> what do you want to do tonight? You know, Netflix and chill. Well, there's an exhibition of rare bookends on. Should we go to that instead? Let's go. Yeah, okay, cool. I'll get my coat. <laughs> the first bookend that we see is it's like a little model ship that's obviously on either end of the bookend, which is quite charming, I suppose. But anyway, we see Jean and Ray, and Jean's filling Ray in on what's going on, and she says, A baby belongs to its mother, Ray. I've just got to make sure Cheryl Drake keeps Ronnie. Ray replies, If anyone can do it, you can, honey. Nice bit of empathy from Mr Palmer there. That's good. He's obviously switched on. Good, good, good. Caption for the next panel says, a little later, as they bend to stare at a pair of diamond-studded ornaments once owned by a Russian czar. We get a nice close-up of Jean leering down at some very fancy bookends, little statues of eagles that have been studded with diamonds. Yeah. And my copy has been defaced so that the, the heads of the eagles have been coloured in with blue biro. So that's quite that's, <laughs> that's a lot of fun, isn't it? Listeners, do you have any Silver Age comics that have been defaced with Byro? Please write in and let us know. Anyway, back to the plot. Jean is saying, Ooh, aren't they gorgeous? Ray says, This about winds it up. I'll go get the car so we can drive to the wharf for our seafood dinner. <laughs> I love this. I love this window so into the relationship that we're getting. <laughs> it makes Romeo and Juliet look like a, a quick knee trembler up an alleyway, doesn't it? I wonder how many bookends there were to look at. We'll never know. The caption for the next panel then says, But as Ray walks away, Jean finds that she cannot straighten upright. Yes, we see Jean clutching her stomach, in fact. And we can also see some more bookends on the table behind her, which show what look like athletes in motion. But anyway, Jean, looking very pained, says, Oh, I, I feel sick. Oh, stomach pain's doubling me up. Not only is Jean so affected... Everywhere in the large exhibit hall, men and women are suffering the same pain. Yeah, we can see some people in the background are doubling over and obviously experiencing some discomfort. There's one gentleman actually looks like he's laughing, which is quite funny. But we're close in on Ray Palmer. We can see the sweat on his brow and he's thinking, It's it's like the bends. Everybody is afflicted with the same painful reactions divers get when they come up too swiftly from one sea level to another. 
caused by gas bubbles forming in the body fluids, interfering with normal circulation. It's great that Ray has time to think all this. He is a scientist. Yes. He's a goddamn scientist. Yes, <laughs> damn it. Um, you know, while he's, <laughs> he's doubling up with crippling stomach pains that he has time to think of this description <laughs> and reiterate to himself what it all means. Oh well. <laughs> so Ray continues out loud in the final panel of page three. But how can that be? We aren't even near any water and... Oh, oh, who's that? And in the background we can see what looks like a very tall man wearing a purple and dark blue uniform. Blue sleeves and leggings. And he also wears a helmet, which we can see some white detailing on it, but we'll get a closer look at that later on. Now, if you're looking at the cover, obviously we know this is the thinker. Over the page to page four, and the caption says... Battling the agonies of the diver's nightmare, Ray's powerful fingers fumble at the size and weight controls hidden in the palms of his invisible, when expanded, uniform. And with a dynamic burst of energy, we see the atom Ray Palmer shrinking down, and he thinks, No one's looking at me. It's safe to switch and fight. The caption for the next panel then says, Next instant, the tiny titan is hitting the taut wire that forms part of an unusual bookend. <laughs> I wonder if Gardner reverse-engineered all this and sort of thought, <laughs> right, I need to have him jumping on a wire to kind of get some tips so he springs up. What could the wire be on? Could it be an executive toy? Could it be a, a flea circus? Um, oh, it's going to be a, a fancy bookend. Of course. So sure enough, Ray, in his costume as the Atom, has jumped in and then sprung off this wire towards the purple and black uniformed man. We could also see this guy now has a moustache and it looks like he has very dynamic eye makeup almost. Maybe it's just his mask is very, very <laughs> stylized. It's interesting. But anyway, this man, we now know obviously is the thinker. It looks like he's carrying a block of gold. And he turns and sees the Atom jumping towards him and says, Huh, who's that? In the next panel, he throws the block of gold, which we can now see has 14k written on it for carrot, flings it at the ray atom as he jumps towards him, saying, This bookend will mark your end, little man. Under a large click-click sound effect, as Ray is further activating his size controls. In the next panel, there's a crash as the block of gold smashes into one of the display cases, and a very shrunken atom thinks, Made myself so small I slipped between the atoms of the bookend so I wouldn't get hurt. Tremendous. The caption then for the next panel says, It is the work of an instant for the world's smallest superhero to resume his six-inch size, throw off the shards of broken glass, and... And we see the atom springing towards the man in black and purple, and as he springs he says, First score to you, whoever you are. Now it's my turn to rack up the points. And the thinker says, You little fool, I have men to back me up. You don't think I came here alone, do you? Take a look at the top of page five now, and we get a much better look at the thinker's helmet. It looks like there are electrodes coming down into the front of the mask and then connected to the back of the helmet. It looks very fancy. But anyway, a couple of frogmen in green have burst in, and they fire their weapons. The Atom thinks, Firing harpoon guns at me. But as the harpoons shoot the breeze, I'll click my weight light enough to use these wind currents to lift me up and away from those razor-sharp points. Yeah, we get a couple more click-clicks as Ray jumps out of the way of the harpoons. The caption for panel three says, Then riding the quivering shafts. So with a thunk, the harpoons collide with the wall, and we see the atom bouncing from one to the other, thinking, These things are jerking up and down so much, they're like super diving boards. I think Gardner's having a lot of fun with his script this week, doesn't he? He is. The next panel, with a zwop, 
we can see that Ray is clicking again to activate size controls as he launches himself forward and drops feet first into the face of one of the frogmen, thinking, Now to make myself heavy again. 180 pounds of Rocco Succo. So with one frogman down, the atom turns on the next one. In the final panel of page five, the frogman has taken off the oxygen cylinders on his back. So I'm hoping that this bookend exhibition is quite near some water. Otherwise, these two guys are just running about in this stuff for no apparent reason. The goon swings his oxygen tank at the atom, saying... I'll get you, you Lilliputian lawman. High cultural reference there, that's tremendous. And the atom replies... Wow! Where'd you ever dream that one up? The first caption of page six then says, Like an aerial tumbler, the tiny titan flips in midair, reaches out, and... Ray grabs hold of the oxygen tanks, thinking, Since I'm at my normal Ray Palmer weight, I'll be the little tiger on his tank. And in panel two, with a very satisfying clonk, the frogman is brought forward and crashes into the oxygen tank. The atom says, Ah, I feel odd vibrations of some sort. What's that guy with the strange headgear up to now? And then panel three, the action continues as what looks like a portal of light has appeared in, in mid-air. And we see the guy in purple and black, who we know is the thinker, stepping through it. The atom is running across the ground towards him now, and he's thinking, Huh? He's leaping out of here through that oval nimbus of light. In the next panel, we're on the other side of that oval nimbus of light. We're on the other side of the portal, and would you know it, there's a full moon in the sky. <laughs> And we can see the guy in purple and black running towards us and then back through the portal, we can still see the atom at the bookend exhibition. And he's thinking, Beyond it, a world just like Earth. It can't be this Earth. It's raining here. In that other world, it's a clear moonlit night. Unless it's a different part of Earth, but that can't be because of the position of the stars. <laughs> then it must mean, It's Earth too! He says out loud and then continues to think, that world is almost a parallel of our own, geographically and historically. It even has its own superheroes, the members of the Justice Society of America. Now, Ray points out that it's been raining where he is. I wonder if that's maybe why the frogmen had the diving gear on. Maybe they'd swum through flood water. How heavy is that rain? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we don't know. I'm really fond of all the observations that Ray makes while he's thinking. They're great fun. Yes. Scientific minds. Absolutely. Yes. So we have a little tiny caption at the bottom of page six, which says... Continued in the second page following. The page opposite has an advert for an 80-page giant issue of Our Army at War, featuring Sergeant Rock and a few of the others. And then over the page to story page seven, and the caption for the first panel says... Yes, and Earth 2 also has its villains, foremost among them being The Thinker. Yes, confirmed at last in the text, it's The Thinker. And we see the remnants of the little Nimbus oval that he walked through. We also see a car that he's now walking towards. And he's saying out loud, What a racket I worked out for myself. I rob in Earth 1, then come back to my own world, Earth 2, and enjoy my cleverly ill-gotten gains. On my own world, these rare bookends haven't even been stolen. So there won't be anybody here looking for me as the thief. He's now reached his car and takes off his helmet. And I owe it all to my thinking cap. This marvellous invention of mine stimulates my brain cells, increases my thinking ability to the point of genius. Not only that, the next panel, he's got in his car and he's driving off and he continues thinking, but I've also managed to increase its sidereal powers so that the creative centres of my brain are tremendously hyped up. Now I can generate any amount of telekinetic energy, the special energy which controls mind over matter. We get a nice close-up of him at the wheel and he's saying out loud now, enabling me to mentally create actual objects and people, will them to act as I command, to help me carry off my robberies. Yes, sirree, 
That makes me the smartest, slickest scoundrel on two worlds. So does that mean that he created the Frogmen? Yeah, looks like it. Wow! <laughs> what a weirdo! <laughs> that that's who he conjures up. Anyway, the caption for the final panel on page 7 says, But when the cleverest of crooks returns to his swank hideaway and turns on his television sets... Yes, it must be said, his apartment looks terrific. Fancy tiled floor, there's a big lamp, there's a television... Um, it's a big, huge window. You can see some bookcases and a large, very comfortable-looking green sofa. There's also a table and chairs. And there's a man on the television, and he says... Here's a late news bulletin. The thinker has struck again, appearing this evening at a rare book and exhibit. He made off with a fortune in valuable <laughs> book supporters. Valuable book supporters could be the name of a menswear B-side. Could be. The thinker reacts to this television news report by saying... What? But... But it can't be, unless by some incredible coincidence a crook on this world dreamed up the same idea I did. After all, what happens in one of sometimes happens on the other. Of all the blasted luck, just when I had things figured out to perfection, now the law will be out hunting for me, and there isn't anything I can do about it. We don't see what he throws at his TV screen, but there's a massive crash. We can see the glass breaking. He's now holding his helmet in the next panel, and as he grips it, he says, Or is there? With my thinking cap, I should be able to figure a way out of my difficulty. Closing caption to this chapter says, What odd fate has struck the thinker right in the middle of his cleverest scheme? For the amazing answer, read on. Story continues in the fourth page following. So we have an advert for Brave and Bold with Batman and Hawkman. There's DC Direct Currents. There's the letters page for this issue. And then as we arrive on story page nine, we have a caption which says, the, the Thinkers, Thinkers Earth-Shaking Robberies, Part two. 2. And our first story caption of Part 2 says, In another part of town, the following morning, a man wakes to the sight of priceless bookends scattered <laughs> over his room. His eyes bulge with amazement, then with disbelief, and finally with utter horror. This is a very striking Gil Kane panel. And it's got that perspective thing which Gil does so well. We're sort of down almost on ground level, looking up at this guy who's on his bed. His wife is standing in the doorway behind him. But in the foreground, we can see the some of the bookends. We can see one of the ones with the model ship on it. We can see the one that looks like the sort of solid gold one that the thinker threw at the atom. And we can see the ones that look as though it's two athletes. Or maybe it's, maybe it's meant to be a kind of Hercules or something. I'm not sure. Certainly a strong figure pushing against a wall. The guy lying on the bed has sweat on his brow. He looks very panicked. His wife has her hand up to her face and she's saying, Artie, you were out robbing again. And the feverish looking man on the bed says, No, Alicia, I swear it. I didn't steal those bookends. I promised the Adam I'd go straight, that I'd never steal again. And I've kept my word. Then how did those bookends get here? I've just been listening to the news after getting in for my night job, and I find you with these stolen goods. I swear I never took them, honey. I've never seen them before. I don't know how they got here. <laughs> Even if I believed you, the police wouldn't. Artie moves to lift up his telephone and says, I know someone who will believe me, and help me, the Adam. I'll call him at the special number he gave me. We get a close-up panel now of Artie, again very Gilkane, as he holds his telephone receiver. And he's thinking, It was the Adam who napped me that safe-cracking job, who then took a personal interest in me, helped me get a job when I got out on parole. 
He even persuaded me to take a course in electronic engineering and talk my wife into giving me another chance. Yeah, so we're on Earth 2, obviously. So this is the atom of Earth 2 who he's talking about. And as we arrive at the top of story page 10, we have a caption that says, This particular morning, Professor Al, atom of Earth 2, Pratt, has a lecture class he is conducting at Calvin College. And we see Al Pratt in his civvies, blue suit, bow tie, with a book under his arm, addressing some of his students, and he is saying, And so I leave you with this parting thought. That the study of history is merely a study of the progress of mankind from crude beginnings to a future where every man shall be equal. It's very optimistic, Al. <laughs> the caption for the next panel then says, Later that afternoon, in his home, he plays back a special taped message of his phone calls. And we see Al operating his answering machine and the little jagged speech bubble. It's the voice of Artie saying, I need help, Adam. In some manner I can't understand, I stole those rare bookends last night and was mistaken for the thinker, but I'm innocent. The caption for the next panel then says, From a secret compartment, he draws forth the colourful costume that symbolises the atom, the mighty might crusader who utilises his titanic strength to fight against crime and injustice. Yeah, this panel shows the atom removing his cape at the very least. In the next panel, he's fully changed. The caption says, Moments later, he is vaulting into a sleek roadster. Yeah, he is. He's got his hand over the, the windscreen as he vaults into... Well, his, di his, his thought bubble tells us what he's doing. Now to convert my car into the Atom-mobile. Now, this is astonishing. This next panel is definitely going on the socials. As he presses studs and turns knobs... Yeah, it looks like his car is vibrating. It's very odd. There's a click sound effect and a large thump sound effect. And it's obvious his car is undergoing some kind of metamorphosis because the caption for the next panel then says... And then the purr of the powerful motor reveals that the atom is off on another case. Yes, because Al Pratt's homely family car has now transformed into something a lot more impressive. A very sleek-looking machine that has a giant Atom logo on the bonnet. The Atommobile click. I wonder if the clicks and the thumps sound very similar to... <laughs> sort of Transformer sort of sound effect. Quite possibly. <laughs> Amazing. So as he vroom, roars off, the Atom thinks, Artie Perkins helps on the way. We arrive at the top of page 11, and the caption says, Ten minutes later, he is listening to Artie Perkins and his wife, Alicia. Yeah, we can see the atom in Artie and Alicia's apartment. Artie looks very pained, and he's saying, I didn't do it, despite the evidence. I couldn't have. I swore to go straight, and I have. And Alicia says, I believe him, Adam. Artie isn't that good an actor to fool me, even though I accused him of it at first. The Atom looks very thoughtful in panel two, strokes his chin and he says, I believe him too, Alicia. Artie was a safecracker. The way the bookends were stolen just isn't his way of doing things. And Alicia says, But what can he do? We believe him, but the police won't. Even as the midget muscle man opens his mouth to soothe Alicia Perkins, he gasps. Midget muscle man, that's not very tactful. So this panel shows the back of Artie's head and Alicia and the Atom Looking very surprised, Alicia says, Adam, are my eyes playing tricks on me? And the Atom says, No, no, I see the same incredible thing you do. The caption then for the next panel says, Sometime before this moment of surprise and bewilderment, in the thinker's hideaway. And we see a shot of the thinker, and he's looking at a newspaper, which is a giant headline saying, Extra, 
Police confident thinker guilty of bookend thefts, and the thinker, appropriately enough, is thinking. I'm not guilty of that robbery. I'm a wronged man. Why does fate have to play such cruel tricks on me? Sure, I robbed Earth 1, but not here on Earth 2. But if I didn't, who did? And whoever did it, who gets blamed? Me. I'm the only man alive with a thinking cap. How could anybody else have one? The thinker's hands are up to his head in the final panel of page 11, and he continues to think. And speaking of my thinking cap, why isn't it helping me think my way out of this dilemma? I've a good mind to... Wait! Ah! My brain is coming up with something at last. We arrive at the top of page 12. The thinker removes his helmet, and he continues to think to himself. Yes, I believe I have the answer to my dilemma. When I improved my thinking cap, I made certain adjustments so I could send out great amounts of telekinetic energy. The telekinetic energy must affect someone here in Earth too, dominating the motor responses of his brain so that he in effect becomes me, the thinker. He knows what I intend to do and is compelled to go out and do the same thing himself. The next panel shows presumably the thinker in, in his laboratory. You can see some scientific equipment and he's standing next to a very big computer screen. He's got his helmet back on and he continues to think to himself. This kindier pointer I'm building will respond to any use of the thinking cap energy other than my own. When I go off on my next looting expedition to Earth 1, my alter ego will do the same thing here on Earth 2. When he does, I'll be able to track him down. Once I've found him, I'll turn his stolen goods over to the police. I'll clear myself of any charges here on Earth 2 so I can profit from the things I steal on Earth 1. Now off on my mercenary mission. So it is that as the thinker starts off on another Earth-1 robbery, Artie Perkins rises to his feet, eyes glazed and lifeless. We see Artie indeed standing with his eyes wide open, rigid. Alicia is holding his hand and she says, Something's happening to him. He looks like he's in a trance. And Alpra Atom says, He's in the grip of some unknown force, Alicia. I have a hunch he's going out to rob again, but this time... I'll go along with him. Following the force-controlled ex-thief, the Atom trails him to the Calvin City Art Gallery, where... Ah, Calvin City. That's good. I like that. That's continuity. This panel shows Artie, and he obviously has a little sack, and he's putting a painting that he's taken down off the wall into the sack. Al Pratt, the Atom, is peeking round the corner and watching what Artie's doing. Now, there's a mistake here. The way the, the comic has been mm -hmm. lettered, it looks as though... It's Artie that's saying this line of dialogue, but it's actually, it's the Atom, so... Phew! Artie may not know what he's doing, but I've still got to stop him from committing that robbery. Top of page 13, with a thwock, the Atom bursts forward and punches Artie in the face, saying, That ought to stop him cold. But then in the next panel, Artie is still standing and still moving. The Atom is shocked and he says, Huh? He didn't even seem to feel it. And that was my Sunday punch. In the next panel, with a zunk... He punches poor Artie in the stomach. The Atom says, Let's see how he stands up to my one-two punch. His face expressionless, the former safecracker turns on his good friend and... With a whomp and an uppercut, Artie punches the Atom, sending him flying backwards. And the Atom thinks, I've never taken a blow as hard as this. Jaw throbbing, face swollen, the Earth 2 Atom catapults forward. Atom takes another punch at Artie's head, thinking... I'll just have to keep punching away until I knock him out. Artie still has the painting in his hand as we turn the page to page 14. The tiny but terrific body of the Earth 2 Atom is a perfect fighting machine. 
With left hooks and right uppercuts, he assails the jaw and body of his friend. This is another great Gil Kane montage panel, isn't it? Yeah. It puts me in mind of that Alan Scott one from the, the Green Lantern team-up in issue 45, yeah. Yeah. We see three different shots of the Atom punching Artie. Once in the stomach, a couple times in the face, with a wham, and a quump, and a zock. The caption then for the bottom panel on page 14 says... But the thinking cap energy which fills the body of the reformed criminal throws off each blow and enables Artie Perkins to strike back like an angry cobra. Yeah, with a giant whop sound effect, he punches the atom, sending him head over heels. The atom thinks, Phew! And I thought my fists were packed with atomic power. Whatever force possesses him gives him almost superhuman power. Top of page 15. Artie taking another painting off the wall. The Atom is rubbing his head and thinking, Artie isn't stealing those paintings. He's doing it only because some power beyond our knowledge is forcing him to do so. I'll have to stay with him. See where this leads to. Once more, the Atom trails the reformed criminal through the dark streets of Calvin City. Yeah, we see the Atom in his Atommobile. There's a nice little overlap between a couple of panels here. And we can see Artie with a massive, <laughs> a massive sack over his shoulder with all his ill-gotten gains. And the Atom is thinking, I'll play it by ear and hope for a wrong note that will tell me how to unwind this screwed-up case. Artie's bringing the loot into his house. Slow dissolve, then. The caption for the next panel. As they enter the empty house. And then there's a note in brackets saying, <laughs> Alicia has left for her <laughs> night job by this time. <laughs> Nice little addition there, just to let us know. <laughs> yeah, just to put our minds at, at rest. So this panel shows the Atom standing looking up at Artie, and they've taken the, the paintings out of the sack, obviously. They're holding a couple of them. Artie starts to come to, and he says, Adam, how, how did this painting get here? Did I steal? Aye, you're coming out of it, Artie. Do you remember fighting me? No. No, I don't remember a thing. And we see with a bring the telephone in Artie's place, have started ringing. In the next panel, Alpra Atom has answered and Ray Palmer Atom bursts out of the earpiece. Earth 2 Alpra Atom says then as he answers the phone, Hello? Oh! My Atom counterpart! How? And Ray says, I visited your home, Adam, and when you weren't there, I listened in to your taped phone messages. Next panel's cracking. It's very Gil Kane. We can see that Ray Palmer, still shrunk down, standing on the table in front of the telephone and Alpra is looking down at him and the Ray Palmer Atom says, I learned this number from those messages, dialed it, and here I am. And Al Pratt Atom says, And what brings you here to my Earth? The caption name for the next panel says, The story of the Thinker's Earth One robbery of the bookends is quickly told. And this panel shows Arte standing in the background looking astonished. And Al is holding Ray in his hand, and Ray is saying, I built a special dimensional vibrator and came here as soon as I realised what that Earth 2 thief was up to. And Al Pratt says, The puzzling mystery is beginning to clear up. When the thinker robs an Earth-1, some mysterious force compels Artie here to pull off the same sort of robbery. In that moment of understanding, a harsh voice shouts triumphantly. And suddenly the thinker, with a burst of light, is phasing through the wall. And he says, Exactly, my dear Atom, and I am that mysterious force. I see my costumed foe from Earth-1 has come to join you. Excellent! I shall eliminate you both at the same time. Alpra Atom says, You couldn't handle one atom, let alone two. And the Atom of Earth One says, I get first crack at him, Atom. He's wanted in my Earth, remember? The Ray Palmer Atom leaps forward, 
from Alprat's hand, saying, You're going to wind up in jail as soon as you clear Artie Perkins of any wrongdoing. And the thinker, laughing, says, Ha <laughs> ha! You talk big for a shrimp! Suddenly, an animated bronze lamp hurls itself at the world's smallest hero. Yeah, with a whap, this lamp flies forward and strikes Ray with a massive concussive force. I have to say at this point, Artie must be doing quite well for himself if he can afford bronze lamps or sitting around his apartment. Yeah, might just be bronze in colour. <laughs> Maybe, but you can also see some, some more artwork up in the wall, so I don't know. So yes, the thinker then continues. Want to sample some more of my powers, Atom? With reflexes like those of a cat, Earth One's Atom catches the lamp, rides it through the air. And as this is going on, the Atom is thinking, My muscles are still those of a 180-pound man, despite my tiny size. I'll hold on to this lamp and send it on the fly, right back at the root of our troubles. Yeah, and with a clang, the lamp collides with the Thinker's helmet, and the Thinker says, My thinking cap, being knocked off. We then arrive at the top of page 17. With a couple of clicks, the Atom is still in action, and he says, Without your thinking cap, you're helpless, Thinker. The Thinker goes down at this point after being struck and in the next panel he swipes at the atom with his helmet there's a large swap sound effect and the thinker says that's what you think atom there's more than one way to use this cap to advantage as one atom drops to the floor dazed the second atom joined by his friend Artie Perkins drives forward as he moves forward the atom of Earth 2 says rush him Artie before he replaces his thinking cap and that's exactly what the thinker is in the process of doing because the thinker thinks my hands can move faster than their feet. Under the flash flood of telekinetic energy pouring from the thinking cap, the ceiling crashes down on Artie Perkins. Yeah, with a large quash sound effect caption, we see the ceiling coming down on Artie who falls down. The caption for the next panel then says, While the Earth 2 atom is hit on all sides by a storm of wooden fists. Yes, with a zog and a whack and a thud, we see Al Pratt being struck and rather helpfully... The thinker's dialogue illuminates as to where these wooden fists have come from. He says, There's no limit to the mind over matter weapons I can whip up. Ha <laughs> ha! We arrive at the top of page 18, and the caption says, As both Atoms and Artie Perkins lie unconscious, the thinker conjures up a metallic cage about their bodies. Did the thinker have these powers before to just create things out of thin air? He had control over things that were around him. But that's right. your creation. I don't yeah. think he had before. This is obviously an upgrade from the colander thinking cap they had. Yeah, I mean, it's a massive upgrade if he can just create things, yeah. you know, solidly. I mean, if he can create matter from out of nowhere and create, you know, wooden fists with which to strike superheroes, why is he even going robbing? Why can't he just create some gold out of thin air and then take it along and sell it? And oh, I don't know. It's for funsies. Yeah. So we see this metallic cage. It looks like a metallic sort of mesh cage. We can see the bodies of the two atoms inside it. The thinker has his hand up to his thinking cap and he is saying, There, that cage ought to hold them until I can send back the rare bookends and paintings Artie Perkins stole here on Earth too, leaving me innocent as a newborn babe. As an escape-proof touch, I'll charge the cage with enough electricity to kill them should they foolishly try to get out of it. And with a zzzz, we see sparks ranging all over the cage. And the closing caption to part two says, Say hey! <laughs> it sure looks like the thinker has pulled his greatest think trick. With both atoms imprisoned by his diabolical cage, he is free to roam between worlds without punishment. 
Story continues on the fifth page following. Yep, the rest of this page is rounded out with an advert for World's Finest. There's a full page advert for some Batman posters, which you'll probably have seen me post when the, the JLA-JSA crossover was happening a while ago. We have a Caps Hobby hint, we have some sporting definitions, we have the letters page for this issue, and a statement of ownership. Over the page again, we have an advertisement for some hot rod dragsters for only $1.98, and then we arrive at the top of story page 19, and a caption that says, The, the Thinkers, thinkers Earthshaking Robberies, Part 3. So, we're inside the cage with the two atoms. The caption says, When the two atoms recover consciousness... You can see the ankles and feet and legs and stuff of, of Artie as well. Ray Palmer is still shrunk down. Al Pratt in his fantastic outfit is crouched down beside him. And Al Pratt says, Phew, the rats caught us in a trap. It'll be tough figuring out how to get past those sizzling bars. And Ray Palmer says, Not for me it won't. Evidently the thinker doesn't realise that I can shrink my body to sub-microscopic size. Or he wouldn't have tried to imprison me here. Here I go, down and out. And with a couple of clicks, we see Ray shrinking still further as Alpra Atom watches. The caption then for the next panel says, Racing across the floor, the dot-sized atom easily leaps through the fine mesh of the electrical cage. Yeah, we see Ray jumping through the mesh and he thinks, The cage openings are mighty big when you're this small. My real problem will be in finding a way to free Atom and Artie from the electrified prison. The caption for the next panel, Quickly, the tiny titan searches through Artie's house. And we see the atom running along the top of Artie's workbench, obviously. We can see some of his tools ranged around and hanging on the wall. The atom is thinking, Since Artie is studying electronic engineering, he'll have plenty of snips of varying sizes which he uses in his experiments. The caption for the first panel on page 20. Selecting the proper cutters for his need... The atom dashes back to the metal cage, where... And we see Ray, shrunk back down, carrying the giant sort of clippers, and he's about to try and cut a hole in the mesh of the cage. Uh-oh, I wouldn't advise it, Raymond, but there you go. The atom says to his counterpart, Huddle up in the centre of the cage. The rubber handles will protect me, but there'll be an electrical blast. In the next panel, there's a zzzz and a giant spark as the atom cuts, and Ray says, Yay! The electric shock is worse than I thought. That panel's definitely going on Instagram. The caption for the next panel then says, Seconds later. And Al Pratt is lifting a very small Ray Palmer up in his hand and he says, You okay, Adam? That was quite a jolt you took. And Ray replies, I, I sure did. What about Artie? The thinker must have put him in some sort of coma. I haven't been able to rouse him at all. We'll have to carry on without him. Right. We can't hang around waiting for the thinker to commit another crime. We're going after him. Our first stop is to Artie's lab. He has everything we need there. The caption for panel 5 of page 20 says, For quite a while, Earth 1 scientist and Earth 2 professor labour at two instruments. Then... And we can see that the Earth 2 atom has a device in his hand that they've obviously knocked up. And he says, This thinking cap energy detector I've built will track down a thinker for us when he uses his thinking cap. But I haven't been able to pick up a trace of him yet. Ray replies, Maybe he's gone to Earth-1 on another job. This vibrator of mine will shift us there in the wink of an eye. You see that Ray has also got a bit of equipment in front of him. The caption then for the final panel on page 20 says, As the vibrational waves of force flow through their bodies, the mighty mites of two worlds cross over to Earth-1. Fantastic. That gives me chills. That's exciting. 
Al Pratt's holding up his thinking cap energy detector and it's glowing. And he says, sure enough, my telekinetic detector is glowing. And the Atom of Earth 1 says, here's where we put the thinker out of business. Tremendous. Now, top of page 21. Guided by the tracking device, the fighting duo soon thunders into an oceanic museum where... Now, there's a lot going on here. A few models of boats, basically. <laughs> one on a table, a couple of larger ones are obviously down on the ground. And a thinker is standing next to one very large model, and he's saying, These ancient Spanish doubloons are worth even more than their weight in gold. Huh? The two atoms have arrived. What? You two again? And Al Pratt says, Don't act so surprised, thinker. We never give up till we get our man. The telekinetic powers of the thinking cap flare with energy, and... Yeah, there's a boom and a blam that comes from one of the model ships, and Ray Palmer Atom says, He made those ship models come alive. And Al Pratt says, Bombarding us with tiny cannonballs. The buckshot will chop us to ribbons if they connect. So that's obviously similar to what we got in the opening splash panel. Al Pratt has grabbed one of the model ships, and he's throwing it at the thinker. And Al is thinking, I saw Adam shrink and dive into this ship's helm. So here goes a sneak attack. It flies towards the thinker in the next panel. But the thinker ducks out of the way, saying, Your improvised weapons are no match for mine, Atom. But then we also see that Ray Palmer has jumped out of the model ship and is flying towards the thinker. And Ray is thinking, The thinker hasn't seen me. I'll land so lightly on his thinking cap, he won't even feel me. We arrive now at the top of page 22. As the tiny titan nimbly starts pulling its circuit wires and filaments on the thinking cap. Ah, no, right. This is more like the, the opening splash panel, because in the background of the panel we see the Alpra atom being struck by the giant cannonballs that are being flung about. There's a boom and a boom. And the thinker clarifies this further by saying, I'm directing these iron cannonballs, relics from the Civil War, to pound you to a pulp before you can reach me. As Mighty Fist pound into the first two cannonballs... And we see the Earth 2 Atom bring his fists up and deflecting the cannonballs with a slam, and he says, Hurry, Adam, hurry, before the Thinker increases his bombardment. As more follow-up cannonballs fly at the Atom, they suddenly drop to the floor with solid thumps. And we can see that the Ray Palmer Atom has been successful in disconnecting some of the wires and cables on the helmet of the Thinker. Ray says, The Thinker's thinkless. And Al Pratt Atom says... Just in the nick of time, he's lost control of his projectiles. With a thud, we see the cannonballs, well, thudding to the ground, I suppose, and the thinker says, Huh, what happened? Then the next panel, with a zwock and a pow, the thinker gets punched out by both atoms, his helmet goes flying off, and Al Pratt says, We happened to you, thinker. Final panel, page 22, the thinker is out for the count, down on the ground, and the Earth 2 atom stands holding the Earth-1 atom in the palm of his hand, and Al Pratt says, We'll leave it to the two Earths to deal with the thinker and his stolen loot. And Ray says, I have a feeling that when I disconnected the thinking cap wires, Artie Perkins recovered from his coma. His name will be cleared now, and he can carry on his law-abiding life. Tremendous. Now, top of page 23. Later, when Ray Palmer is alone with his fiancée... Yep, yeah, that's a very nice panel. Um, there's another full moon, which seems to be the Vogue in 1966. <laughs> we see the silhouettes of Ray and Jean Loring standing at a little cliff. There's a car behind them. Must be some kind of romantic lover's leap place, I suppose. And Raymond is saying, And how did your case of the television actress mother turn out, Jean? He's so empathic. Oh my goodness. Jean replies, The judge ruled that the baby belonged with his mother. I must say, Ray, I never pleaded a case so eloquently. You see, 
when we are married and I should decide to keep up my log practice, I'll need a governess to care for our babies. In pleading for Cheryl Drake, I was actually pleading for myself. And Ray cradles the chin of his lady love in his hand, with the moon behind them, and he says, And who could resist such an appeal? The, the end. end. I mean, I can't read a Gene Loring story now <laughs> without thinking about everything that happened in the future. Listeners, if you don't know, if you don't know about it, don't worry about it. Enjoy the stories for what they are. Yes. Well, that was great fun, wasn't it? Yes. You might have noticed a certain choice in one of the voices there. <laughs> At the time of recording, we know Peter Capaldi is the thinker in the Suicide Squad movie, but we don't know, A, if he's using his own accent for it, or B, if he even has a speaking part in it or he just does thinking. Yes. Who knows? But we thought we'd do a little tribute. I decided to approximate my best Peter Capaldi voice, and I have met him in real life, so, you know, I do have a little bit to go on. <laughs> We'll put that picture on the socials for you as well. Yes, yeah. <laughs> That'd be fun. <laughs> the thinker meets the thinker. The two thinkers. In our next episode. Hi, I'm Peter Capaldi. When I'm not thinking about things, I enjoy listening to the Earth 2 podcast. Perfect. We can tweet that the night before this one goes out, or during, yes. the, during the campaign for this one. So um, I like the, you know, the way it was set up with a little bit of action in one Earth and then a little bit of action in the other, which tied them together, and then yeah. the two atoms find their way. It was, um, that was a lot of fun. Yeah, it also adds a lot more to the Earth 1, Earth 2 travelling situation. Yeah. Because Ray managed to knock up a portable vibrator, mm-hmm. which might be modelled on the ones that the Crime Champions had back in the in the first JLA-JSA crossover. Uh-huh. But also, the thinker can just open up a portal. Yes! With his thinking cap between the, the worlds. That's fantastic. That really is amazing. The thinker really upped his game as a proper... Costume supervillain mm-hmm. there rather than yeah. just an old coot that he seemed to be previously. With a colander on his head. Yeah. <laughs> I'm Peter Capaldi and I'm wearing a colander on my head. I don't think in my entire life I've said the word bookends quite as often <laughs> as I have this afternoon whilst we've recorded this. Are you a bookend aficionado? Well, when, you, when you're a little boy who, who likes books more than anything else, bookends are amazing. I've got a set of Green Lantern Power Battery bookends piled up over there gathering dust that I got as a birthday present years ago and I should probably just stick on eBay and, and sell, quite frankly. Bookends, yeah, bookends are cool. But I, I love the fact that the, there was a, a bookend exhibition <laughs> that was the hot ticket for courting couples to go and check out. But they were gold bar bookends. They were diamond-studded bookends. It's quite exciting. Yes, and... There was no evidence of any security men. No, true. At this, at this, you know, exhibition that so that the frogmen could rock up with their harpoon guns. <laughs> Did the thinker create them out of nothing? Because that wasn't very clear either. It kind of looks like it. I mean, that was very Gardner Fox. It, you could tell it was written by the same guy who wrote Showcase Fifty Five and Fifty Six and the two issues of Brave uh-huh. and Bold with Starman and Black Canadian. Yeah, it rocketed along. There was a lot going on. There wasn't too much mm-hmm. in the way of astonishing new powers for the Atom or anything. I did like his transforming car. Yes, the Atomobile. Bit ridiculous. Yes, there were some excellent Gil Caden panels for us to pick out and play with in the socials as well. It was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. To be honest, I don't really have a lot to say about this one other than I really, really enjoyed it. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, I quite enjoyed it as well. Both atoms got to do lots of stuff. Mm-hmm. I was a bit struck by the conspicuous click click as Ray was activating his powers. I wasn't really used to that. I'm not sure if that's a, yeah. a thing that happens, is it? Yes, it's something that they kind of like dropped. Right. Uh, after a while. It just depends, depends who's writing it, really. I see, okay. But obviously, Gartner likes to make sure that there's clicks because obviously raise controls in his palms yes control both his size and his weight yes of course you can basically just uh shrink down and make himself as light as possible and leap mm-hmm. uh, and he can go flying for quite a while of course 
or he can just become his normal 180 pound weight, which incidentally he always is 180 pounds. He never puts on or takes off weight. That's you right. That? Yes, yes. <laughs> must be some strict diet slash exercise regime he has. It must be, yeah. So yeah, he can bring down the full weight of that. If you see a tiny little speck of dust about to fall on you, and then it suddenly hits you with 180 pound weight, that would be quite calamitous. Yes, it's going to take you out. It's going to hurt as well. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. No, I mean, do you have anything to add on that? Any great real insight? I mean, obviously we commented on a few things as we're going along. Yeah, true. Yeah, I'm very curious as to the fate of the thinker after this story, because he's on Earth One. Ah, yes. He doesn't have a, an identity in Earth One. Mm. So, you know, legally, what's the status in Earth One? Yeah. Is there now going to be an extradition back to Earth Two? Yeah. And also, he didn't commit any crimes in Earth Two, really. Yeah. Possibly assault an arty. Unless you could argue that Artie's thefts were committed by him, even though they weren't technically. Mm. I think there should be a series about lawyers in the DC universe. That'd be fascinating what other stuff they have to deal with. I mean, yeah. Marvel famously had She-Hulk, mm. mm-hmm. which dealt quite a lot with legal things happening in the Marvel universe. Daredevil, to a lesser extent, he was more like normal street crime. But She-Hulk dealt with some wacky stuff like, yeah. uh, like Star Fox. And things like that, which is a whole can of worms. Mm-hmm. And also another real world concept they had was damage control, which is like the insurance agency. Of course. They also went out to yes. uh, repair buildings and things that were destroyed or damaged by superheroes slash supervillain yeah. uh, interactions. The very first Marvel Comics miniseries that I collected every issue of was damage control. And it's one of the first things that I bought at the thrill of experiencing in my very first comic shop after the first time I went to Forbidden Planet in Glasgow. So there we go. It's a little plug there. I'm fascinated by the way that Al just says, we'll leave it to the two Earths to deal with a thinker and a stolen loot. I mean, that touches lightly on what we said during the this year's JLA JSE team up. Yeah. You know, when all the different people from Earth 1 and Earth 2 were sort of swapped around, like we saw the obviously the, the bride and groom and the, the, the boxer and the golfer. So, I mean, there must be an awareness of the multiple Earths. And the way that Al says this, it makes me think, is there a police agency now established to handle interdimensional mm-hmm. Earth 1 stroke Earth 2 crossover crime. You know, because Al is completely right, you know, we can leave it to them, they'll fix it. They are not worried about the fact that multiple Earths are involved. And it mm-hmm. just makes me sort of think, does this mean that the regular law enforcement agencies of the multiple Earths, or at least Earth 1 and Earth 2, now have a way of contacting each other to deal with situations like this? I don't think it'd be individual law agencies. It's more likely to be a political thing, possibly with like some sort of UN liaison that would deal with contacting the other earth and then negotiating this sort of thing obviously on the back of the the jla gsa team up we now know that a lot of people are more aware of the concept exactly a lot of them probably won't won't believe it governments would have taken this on board and uh, looked at steps as to deal with possible situations that might occur from that yeah possibly with the help of the league and the society yeah i mean they would they would have to have done so Mm -hmm. you know we've had quite a few now interdimensional bits of nonsense happening at this point because you know we're now in the yeah. tail end of 66 going into 67 you know we've been covering mm-hmm. the stories that have been published in 61 so and there is a precedent in several of them for specific interaction between earth one and earth two even going back to all the stuff with the danger in flash 129 which yeah. had a newspaper headline talking about jay garrick helping out on earth one yes you know so there must there must be some kind of awareness it'll be interesting to, uh-huh. i think i think we've said this before as well it'll be interesting to map this out as we go along and just kind of yeah raise any questions that we think of as they arrive yeah absolutely yes but yes that's really interesting i do like the thinker's new costume it yes 
much better than the business suit and colander. Very much so. This is pretty iconic for me because one of my favourite single issues is the Suicide Squad and Doom Patrol special that came out uh, in the late 80s, which is a great single issue which heavily features the thinker in it. Oh, and this right. Is the costume he wears in it. Interesting. I have a feeling I might still have that somewhere. It's very good. It's just a one-off. I definitely owned it at one point, so I shall have a look. Mm-hmm. I shall have a look and see if I've still got it. That's that's interesting. That might convince me to have a look at it if he's involved. Hmm. So we'll spin on now to the latest page from The Atom issue 31, the appropriately titled Inside the Atom. Mm. And this is quite a special letters page, as we'll find out as we go along. Okay, so the first letter, it's from an old friend, and it goes a little something like this. Dear Editor, the revival of the original Tiny Titan in issue 29 of The Atom was a welcome sight. Genius that he is, Gardner Fox did not overlook changes necessitated by the passage of several decades. Thus, it was nice to note that Al Pratt is now a professor instead of student, and that he has an atomobile to aid him in his crusade against crime. I wished, however, that Mr. Fox had touched, even if briefly, on the origin of the Golden Age Atom. I know this was done in the first Showcase Atom over five years ago, but I was considering your newer readers. Also, unless I have gotten my signals crossed, the thinker was one of the original Flash's archfoes. But why did you have to change his original garb to the ridiculous outfit he was decked out in? We seldom see any more crooks dressed in ordinary day clothes. So if Urtu's stinker ever makes a return appearance, please bring him back as the villain he was, garb and all, despite my barbs. The thinker's earth-shattering robberies was a good yarn. And that's from our old pal, Joseph Arrow, New York, New York. Joseph, you really want to go and look at the the stories featuring the MF Enterprises' Captain Marvel, because his villains (laughs) have the most unremarkable villain costumes you'll ever see in your puff. Anyway. Yes. The stinker, that really made me laugh. (laughs) The editorial response to this one then goes like this. So many requests have poured in asking for more information about the original Atom of the 1940s that we've devoted the extra page further on in this issue to a recap of the material first printed in the Showcase Atom issue. If the original Atom could be updated, why not the thinker with a costume to match? As for those old-time fans who noted that the thinker had a full head of hair as contrasted to his original (laughs) ball-headed appearance, the answer is simple. The electrically charged thinking cap he wore caused the hair to grow back in, says the editor. We didn't even comment on that. (laughs) No. We noted his moustache, but we didn't even comment his full head of hair, which is weird because you think I'd... You think I'd be completely preoccupied with such a thing? I thought his upgrade to his helmet meant he didn't have to shave his head for the thinking cap. Ah, that's reasonable. Yeah, that's what I thought. Anyway, so the second letter says, Dear Editor, Eagerly did I await what would be your third team-up of Golden Age and modern-day heroes. I was let down terribly. Uh Uh-oh. First of all, when Flash met Flash, it was in Earth 2 to stop three villains, not one. Secondly, when Green Lantern met his counterpart, it was to stop a threat to the universe, plus a long-awaited origin thrown in. But when Atom met Atom, you gave us an ordinary, run-of-the-mill yarn. At first I didn't recognise the villain, for the thinker had been a rather quiet man. Now I see him as Adonis Unchained or some such. <laughs> His swim-suited henchman took all plausibility out of the yarn. Atom to his apparent ease when Atom 1 showed up, toned down any action the story might have had. The best part was when Artie's wife came in and looked horror-stricken at the stolen goods. And that's from future comic writer Bill Mantlow mm. from Queens Village, New York. There we are. We've not had one from Bill yet. 
if you're doing a story with the atom and the atom, it's got to be small scale by definition. <laughs> yes. You know, there was no way that they could do anything with those two guys that was going to be so universe threatening. And you know, they made use of Ray Palmer's powers at points, and you know, and and it gave us that little hint about what Al was doing with his life. Anyway, I don't know. So the editorial mm-hmm. response to that one is. If we let you down with that double atom yarn, we did anything but that with the next two satisfied customers. Editor, right, okay, so the next letter then says, Dear Editor, you've finally done it. You brought back the original atom, and what a comeback. The atom team of Titans was atomically fantastic. Kind of a mouthful, isn't it? Art, story, and plot were superb, and your villain, the thinker. It was marvellous the way he switched from world to world, getting both atoms involved in his capture. This was a really tough nemesis for the two mighty mites. His little remarks like, This bookend will mark your end, little man, were groovy. How about it, fellow fans? Doesn't the thinker rate a return bout? And that's from Richard H. Volbrecht, Jr. I think we've had him before. Um, Groton, New York. The next letter is also from a familiar name. It says, Dear Editor, I've always enjoyed your double-earth stories, and the thinker's earth-shaking robberies was just as good as any you've ever run. The Thinker wouldn't have been a good villain at all had the whole thing not involved innocent Artie Perkins. I must admit, though, that if it hadn't been for both Atoms, the Thinker would probably still have his thinking cap on. Ouch. Of course, Atom 2's appearance didn't hurt the issue either. My knowledge of him is extremely limited since my collection of all-American comics wherein he appeared in the 1940s numbers only one. It's one more than I have. <laughs> this issue heightened my interest in him. I can't close without mention of the action scenes on page 14. They were especially good. And that's from our old friend Frank Tower from Eustace, Texas. Awesome. So, the next letter then. Dear Editor, Usually the introduction of a new Earth 1, Earth 2 team is cause for great joy since they invariably turn out great. Yet this time I was particularly unimpressed. Why am I getting the bad letters today? (laughs) The Thinker's Earth-shaking robberies was just an averagely good story with its ups, the atomic crack in the last panel of page 5, and downs. The terrible costume of the thinker. Just about evening out. There was virtually no characterization of Atom 1 except to establish his secret identity as a teacher, while there was plenty for our own Atom 2. Obviously, he means Atom 1 meaning Al Pratt because he was the first one yeah. to appear rather than the designated Earth that they live on. Mm-hmm. The art also was just averagely good, I disagree, with the usually excellent Kane Green team doing their best most of the time while failing down in their forty. The action scenes, and that's from, oh, Grumpy Pants, from Mike Friedrich, Castro Valley, California. Mike, I think you're being a bit harsh. Yeah, another future comic writer. The two comic writers do not like this story. Because <laughs> we, you and I, we both like Thinker's costume. Oh, I love the costume, yeah. And I think there was a fair bit of character development given to Al Pratt, because we saw the whole thing where he'd worked with Artie and sort of had helped him out and all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, mm-hmm. you know, that gave him a bit more colour and gave him a bit of depth. I think you've been a bit harsh, Mike. I don't know what you're expecting. Anyway, final letter this page. It says, Dear Editor, The March Atom had another truly excellent cover. No amount of word captions could have replaced Gil Kane's terrific artwork. Yes, absolutely. Hmm. The Thinker's earth-shaking robberies may not have been a classic, but it was a well-developed story. The presence of the original Atom was well handled. Unlike the previous Flashing Green Lantern old and new team-ups, the two atoms are more than slightly different, especially in powers, which added to the interest. Definitely. I'm in favour of a double atom appearance once a year. And that letter's from Eric Tysel from Philadelphia, PA. There we are. Terrific. You know, I mean, that's a good point. 
the fact that the the two atoms are so different mm-hmm. automatically, I think, makes it more interesting rather than just having two guys with power rings or two flashes. I mean, it's Ray's book, so obviously he was a bit more involved in getting them out of the cage and all yeah. that. But you know, I think Al's still got a fair bit to do. You know, he carried that whole chunk in Absolutely, the middle. Absolutely, yeah. It was a bit uh-huh. harsh. Yep. As stated in that text page there, there is an extra page in this issue, mm. which gives you a bit of background on Al Pratt, the Earth to Atom. And David's going to tell us all about that. Yep. So it's headed Inside the Atom Extra, and all the text goes like this. Readers have been emphatic in telling us they want to know more about the original Atom, who made his reappearance in the March 1967 issue of this magazine. That's the cover date, obviously, not when it's published. Accordingly, we are happy to oblige with this capsule history. Capsule history, I get it. Ah. The Mighty Atom, as he was first called, made his debut in the October 1940 issue of All American Comics, being introduced with the blurb, An atom is absolutely the smallest thing on Earth. So we find our little friend Al Pratt, much to his discomfort, dubbed Atom Al by his college friends, who constantly kid him about his small size. And we have figure one here which shows Al and a young lady and a bad guy in a suit who's grabbed Al by the scruff of his jacket. So obviously demonstrating that Al's not the biggest of chaps. I think he's supposed to be five foot or five foot one at the most, doesn't he? Yeah, that's right. Um, So the text continues. The first story, a six-pager credited to Ben Flinton and Bill O'Connor, related how Al Pratt, after being berated by his girlfriend Mary James for not putting up any resistance when they were held up by a crook, see figure one, was befriended by a veteran fight trainer and given intensive athletic training. At the end of the year, Al developed a perfect body with tremendous strength, which he subsequently used to foil a kidnapping of his ex-girlfriend Mary. And we now have figure two, which shows Al in his original costume, with the sort of leather shorts and the harness and the blue cape and the yellow short sleeve shirt the bare legs, holding a twisted metal bar. The text continues. In the next issue, All-American Comics number 20, the Atom made his first appearance in his distinctive uniform, which he wore under his regular clothes. The reason for his wearing a uniform, no mention was made where he obtained it, was Al decided to keep his mighty strength a secret so that he may carry on his dual role as the Atom. For the next issue, All-American Comics number 21, the Mighty Atom title was dropped and the simpler and final form used, The Atom, a title which continued through most of the 1940s. Eventually, after The Atom's appearances were switched to The Flash magazine, meaning Flash Comics, he was given a new costume, the same type he wore in the Thinker's Earth-Shaking Robberies, March 1967 issue of The Atom, and then the pages rounded out with a reproduction of the cover of All-Star Comics issue 3 with all the Justice Society sat around the table. So Atom, Sandman, Inspector, Flash, Hawkman, Doctor Fate, Green Lantern and Our Man. And with a little bit of text that tells us the original Atom was one of the charter members of the illustrious Justice Society of America, forerunner of today's Justice League of America. In figure 3 we show him along with his fellow members of the JSA as we described. So... That's nice. A little bit of extra background and and context, which is always good. Yep, I enjoyed that. Yeah. So, what did you think of the Golden Age Atom teaming up with the Silver Age Atom? Please let us know. You can email us at theearth2podcast at gmail.com. Make sure you follow us on social media because, as usual, we'll be putting up lots of bonus content on Facebook and Instagram. We're at the Earth 2 Podcast. And on Twitter, we're at podcast underscore earth2. And it's the number two for all of our social media. It certainly is. So, yes, please get in touch. Let us know what you're thinking of what we're doing and how we're getting along and your thoughts on any of the stories that we cover. Also, if you could, please rate and review us on wherever it is that you find your podcasts because I'm told that that sort of thing does help us enormously. And it'd be nice to know what people are thinking of what we're doing. So, 
thanks for doing that for us. So that's been it for this week. I've been Peter. And I've been David. And we'll see you next time on... The Earth 2 Podcast. Transmatter Cube activated. Return coordinates set for Earth Prime. I've owned this for years. And I've never read it before the preparation for this episode. Isn't that terrible? <laughs> and I think it says... Did you hear me scratch my nose there? I should probably do that again.